Hey, what's going on, guys? Some of you might know our guest today, and some of you might have actually heard him preach before. He is a pastor. He's a really nice guy. I just, I had a really great time talking with him. It was a great conversation. I was glued to my seat the whole time and just really, really interested in what he had to say and his his view on a number of different things. I think it was really interesting. I enjoyed it. I think you guys will too. So I'm going to let him take it from here. Please give it up for Martin Tunzi. How's it going? It's going good. Man, it is it is so weird sitting here across from you because you were my bus driver back That's in right. the day. Yeah. I mean, how that was, was 18 back. years ago? Yeah. It's been a while. I mean, yeah. that it's just crazy how life plays out sometimes. I might still have some of the bus slips I gave you. Probably. <laughs> probably. I should have saved a few of those. But one thing I didn't know is that you were a pastor as well. Yep. Have been for a while. How does how did you get into that? Well, it's, um, that's just it. I don't know if you get into it, um, without being too boring. It was, uh, uh, in what I believe there are callings and there are events in our lives. And, um, you know, I got saved, which is the term I use, give my heart to the Lord when I was 14 out on the Van Dusen river, you know, and that's a whole nother story. But, uh, I was about 18, uh, the pastor of the church I was going to, which was right over here on Santa Clara Street, came up to me and said, uh, what do you think about preaching a sermon? thought never crossed my mind. And um, so long story short, I studied three weeks for that sermon and it went eight whole minutes <laughs> and that was it. So, uh, and from there, I've just always been involved in it. That's, I believe it is who I am. Uh, you know, it's not my job. I pastor a church in McKinleyville now, and uh, we've been in Nevada and Washington. But, um, you know, I have a job, but uh, pastoring and and all that is, it's my life. It's who I am, and that's my DNA now. And uh, so, um, you know, that's kind of, you know, how I got started was just that simple. Um, and I hope it's, it's a good plan, <laughs> you know, so. Now, is it... Are you Christian, Catholic? Yeah, Christian. Christian. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. I like that idea of a calling, a sense of purpose. I think it, yeah, I, it, it really does. You know, as, as you well know, the people have lost a lot of sense of purpose and, and reason to get out of bed in the morning, that kind of thing. And, you know, it's tragic. It really is. But, uh, um, this type for me, this time, and I only speak for myself. I don't speak for anyone else. Um, it it gives me the purpose and the, the, you know, it's a lot easier. And my, one of my sons said something like this the other day, and he, he recently, uh, gave his heart to God. He's 30, 32, I think now, but anyway, um, he said, it's a lot easier. It feels a lot better to be nice to people than to pack a grudge around and blame people and that kind of thing. So, so I think that's part of it. You know, I, I, I find it more rewarding every day to, um, 
try to say something without being corny or sappy or, you know, just a word of encouragement here and there. And uh, I don't think I would be that way uh, if it wasn't that I didn't believe in God and that I didn't believe Christ was my Savior, is my Savior. And um, being a pastor has caused me to focus more because you have that accountability all the time for the people that go to your church and for the message. Every time I'm behind the pulpit and I tell people, I say, if you're listening to me talk, we're wasting our time. <laughs> you know, it's, if it's just coming from me, it doesn't, doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it might be raw, raw, that kind of stuff. But, uh, it, for me, it has to be something God has given me. And, uh, and if that's the case, then we'll we'll go with it. But uh, if it's just me up there, I'm, I'm not into that. That's I got better things to do. Everybody else does too. <laughs> yeah, I feel like one of the reasons why we're in this kind of chaotic state is because people don't have that sense of purpose. It's that, been lost. Yeah, right. Know, it really has. You know, there and there are all kinds of explanations, all kinds of excuses, and that's one of the problems is people are. Uh, relying too heavy on why I can't do something. And, and the reality is they just won't do it. Um, you know, it's uh, our society has crumbled. It's not what it used to be, you know, even when you were a little kid riding on my bus. Now, I know your mom and, and I know of your dad and you got great parents. And uh, so don't let her know I said that. <laughs> I'll edit that part out. Yeah, chop that thing out of there. Um, but Again, it's about, it's about accountability, responsibility. I feel accountable for what I believe the calling is on my life to God. I appreciate everything that he has done for me, what I read in the word. I appreciate and believe when Christ died on the cross and, and died for our sins, which is kind of a cliche to say, but um, I, I believe that he's done for me more than I can ever repay. And for me to do this small part and it is small, believe me, I, compared to what he's done and what others have done for uh, the cause of, of Christianity, my my part's minuscule. But uh, so, you know, it's, um, it's, you're right though, people have a lost purpose. You probably see it, or you might talk to people in your studio about it too, but um, it's where it all goes wrong. I don't know, uh, in people's lives, you know, parents don't want to parent anymore. And, um, this, it's just a, a tragedy. And then I think the big thing is no one's being held accountable. Yeah. You know, they, I mean, we've seen the rioting around whichever stripe, I'm not political at all. Uh, that's another thing I, I don't do is preach politics from the pulpit because to me, the pulpit in that place is got to have a far grander message than just somebody's political view. And I don't really have a political view. People think because I'm a Christian, I have to be conservative. I have to be a right winger, have to be a Trumper. And I'm none of those things. Uh, it just, it's not, I don't want to sound like I don't care, but it's not that important to me. Um, I've talked with people that are part of the new age movement. I don't know if you're familiar with that or no, not. No, I'm not. It's, it's just a movement that started a long time. It's been around for a long time. And it's, um, it's humanism. It's that we are in, in control of everything, you know, we, and all these other kinds of things. And what happens a lot of times, I just like to talk to people. I like to hear what they have to say. And they will try to put 
people like me in a certain kind of box. You know, it's a lot easier to deal with when you can label somebody and you can categorize them and say, oh, well, they're this or they're that, you know, like they're a, you know, their political stripe or things like that. Um, but, and I appreciate this because I've had honest conversations with people and they say, well, you're not like the rest and I don't want to be like whatever the rest is. You know, it's a, I believe being a Christian is a unique thing. It's not run of the mill. And I believe that people that are really sold out to God are always going to be a benefit to those around them without even saying anything. It's like St. Francis of Assisi said, and there's debate whether he really said it or not, but I'll give him credit. He says, he said, preach the word at all times and when necessary, use words. And I try to live by that. Does it bother you that that branding has kind of stuck? I mean, not just with religion, but kind of everything, right? Where it's like people use that almost to try to discredit you. Oh, you're just a Christian. Or, oh, um, you're just a Trumper. You know what? I think as far as the church in America goes, the church around the world is still greatly persecuted. Mm -hmm. Church in America has got it really good for the most part. I think, and I'll put myself in that, you know, I'm no better, that we have earned that um, to be categorized because we can live according to... See, one of the things that happens in church is a lot of churches go the way to where they have to have an inordinate amount of money to operate. They're big. And I have nothing against a big church or anything like that. But the problem is the money gets to be the focus. And that's contrary to what Scripture teaches um, about filthy lucre, which in the New Testament is money. Um, I think it was Paul that said the love of money is the root of all evil, one of the New Testament guys. Um, we need money. We do. We have to function. We have to pay our bills. Uh, we have to, you know, maintain. But the extravagance of some of these guys is, uh, it's really shameful, the, the ways that they do. Um but when money becomes the God, if you will, and the purpose that we talked about, then um, it doesn't work. And so, you know, some of the greatest stories in Scripture had uh, nothing to do with money. I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible or anything. but Not uh, very familiar. Uh, no, that's fine, yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you a quick story. Um, it's in the book of Acts in the New Testament. And there was a man that's from a small child, a young child, was laid by the, one of the gates of the temple. And there were 12 gates to the temple, and he laid there every day because they brought him there. People that cared about him, people that loved him, he couldn't walk. He was, he was disabled. And um, so they brought him there day after day, month after month, year after year, for most of his life. And people went to the temple to pay their uh, respects to God through the Judaic way of doing it. And I'm sure people got to know him. And I'm sure people helped him out. You know, they gave offerings to him. They gave him things to, you know, food, maybe some coinage, something like that. Well, two of the disciples, Peter and John, the Bible says they were on their way to the temple that afternoon, that day. And they probably knew this fellow too. This wasn't their first trip to the temple. And as they approached him, the, the man that laid there maybe knew them by name. The Bible says he was expecting an alm from them, which means a giving, you know, a charity type of thing. And then Peter, the Bible says, fixed his eyes on him and said, silver and gold have we none, 
But that which we do have, which was the reality of Christ, that's what we can give to you. And Peter reached out his hand, grabbed a hold of the man's hand, and the Bible says immediately he stood up and started to walk. So I don't want to perpetuate um, people's lifestyles, and that's what we do when we get money-based, and the church gets entertainment-based too. We, we really, as a whole, like I said, I'm including myself, even though I'm not an entertainer, <laughs> but uh, we... Uh, you know, we can, what's the world doing today? You know, they got smoke and mirrors today. Let's move you smoke and mirrors. What type of music is popular? Um, and so then you get Christian celebrities, which is not scriptural either, as far as I'm concerned. But the man rose up and walked and Peter said, I don't have silver and gold. So there's that next level to me that is beyond what money can buy. Like I said, money has its place in all of our lives, but, and I'm sure you might know people that make it too much of their lives and, and it defines who they are by the kind of car they drive, the kind of job they, where they can walk into a room and where he goes, oh, there's so-and-so, you know, that kind of thing. And when the church strives for that, we will never get to the place where we can really touch people's lives instead of perpetuating there and helping we can't lift them up out of anything and that's what i want to do you know it's uh that that's what i strive for that's part of the purpose that we talked about you know every purpose i have is spiritually based to be a good dad to be a good husband these are all things that god created we didn't these are offices of god uh, mothers and fathers and and family and uh, so to try to be good at those things and then be an okay preacher. <laughs> no, I think that's I think that's the way it should be done, right? I think when you start to bring money, it it creates this weird power dynamic where it, you're not just a preacher mm -hmm. standing up there and trying to inseminate this message that you have. Mm -hmm. You're like this weird public figure that people are kind of idolizing and you're you've right. got the money and not to knock Joel Olstein, but that guy's flying around. He's got his private jet. He's got his stadiums. Yeah. And, uh, you know, back in the 80s is when these guys really started. They've always been around. But it seemed like the, the 80s, you had uh, a bunch of these, um, I forget what the word was they used to call them. But uh, anyway, they would, their messages were always about money. Just, just to the obscene that, uh, you know, you had to pay for your blessing. You know, it's kind of like the indulgent thing that the, the Catholic Church did for a while. I, years ago, many years ago, this was back in the very early, well, I was married, so it was like 86, 87. Um, we were on our way to Disneyland with a couple friends. They had a couple small kids, so we went down with them. We stopped in Sacramento and spent the night. And we, we, um, we're watching TV and an advertisement came on for a fellow by the name of Jimmy Swaggart. I don't know if you remember him. He was a big preacher back in that time and he, he got into some trouble, but you know, that's between him and God. Well, anyway, we knew who he was. So we went to the service. It was at the old Arco arena, which I think seated 10, 11,000 people at the time, small by today's standard standards, but it was packed and we're sitting back in behind the stage and they went through all the preliminaries and they sang songs and, you know, kind of had a church service. And 
then his son comes out and announces, you know, he, he said something along the lines of my dad, your pastor or whatever, Jimmy Swaggart. Jimmy Swaggart comes out and the crowd just erupts. And I just sat there going, what's happening here? Because I didn't see him that way. I look across the aisle about from here to the wall and a lady is sitting there and she just busts up in tears weeping that, that she was in, I, I just, I will always think that she thought that she was so privileged to be in his presence. And that, like I said, I, I don't judge people. I, I really don't, but I observe. That's what I do. And when I see something like that, it's, and I'm not even going to say it was his fault, but it's what people do, you know, to have that man, you know, the, you know, the Catholic church has the Pope, you know, the vicar of Christ, the, the representative, the substitute, whatever that word all means it. And, um, you know, I'd love to see Rome myself and, and the architecture and all that stuff. But to me, the, the Pope's just a man. I hope I don't get stoned over that. But. They're going to be watching you now. <laughs> but, but, yeah. And I mean no disrespect, but he is just a man, just like you and I. So, so yeah, Christian, Christian celebrity is, in my mind, not a goal. It's not something that we should make that purpose. And usually it's something to do with money and, you know, having, you know, just having to have that kind of status, like you talked about Joel Osteen, um, you know, he's a pretty smooth guy, you know, he, he's got it down and there's a lot of, there's like prosperity preachers. That's what I was thinking of. Um, they, a lot of them are still around they're still pitching the same old thing. You know, one guy needed $65 million for a new Learjet. So he could, he could go around the world preaching the gospel. Well, if God is big enough, and I believe he is, he has ordinary people all over the world that are every nation kindred tongue that do just fine being a light and a witness for him to those around him. So, you know. Yeah, that's my problem with the Catholic Church is, is the Pope. Because mm -hmm. he's, not, he's not just a regular guy to most people. No. He's this, this figurehead that's almost held to the same standard as like Jesus, you know, where he's on this pedestal and everyone's supposed to kind of bow down to him well, in a weird way. And, and you're right. And you see that, you just observe that, you know, and it's easy to see maybe for us, you know, that weren't raised in that faith or, or that kind of thing. But, but the bottom line is people need, I mean, you know, when, when, uh, you, you said you wanted to talk about religion. I thought, my gosh, religion is such a vast, ambiguous subject because it means so many different things anymore. But ultimately, religion, as we understand it, the word means to look to something bigger than yourself. Um, I don't remember the correct word that it uses, but basically, oh, uh, superior, super, like superhuman, you know, uh, so worshiping a athlete, that can be a religion. You know, you walk into somebody's house and they got all the jerseys and all the cards and posters and stuff. And you go, wow, you really hung up on this guy or girl, you know? So, uh, you know, religion, to me, there's, there's a difference between cross the board religion that touches in so many different ways 
you know, people can make their jobs, their religion, you know, their goals for, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 40 or 20 or whatever, that can become their God. You know, uh, it is not the God of creation. Um, you know, even science and I love science. That's why I was admiring your, your, uh, computer there. It's really cool. I want one, <laughs> but, um, I pay attention to scientists. To me, science um, validates the power of creation. Even the word cosmos that they use is, uh, you know, Carl Sagan had a book out and TV show called Cosmos. And these are fascinating people. They're smart people. They're far more intelligent than I'll ever be on that level. And I enjoy what they discover because to me, it, it just continues to validate the reality of a creator. They don't see it that way. You know, they, they don't want to acknowledge it. Many of them are atheists. There are some agnostics. Um, I, for myself, I think even if I wasn't a Christian and, and knew what I knew, no. Um, how could you look at, you know, I've never, like I've told people, because I, I like to look at the stars, you know, I like, naming constellations and all that kind of stuff. I said, I've never looked up into the sky early in the morning because I get to work early. And you see all the stars out and you see maybe a meteorite or something like that. Or if you just one day I saw the, um, uh, who's the fellow, Elon Musk and his satellites. I saw them trailing over, uh, over the skies. There's like, I don't know, 25, 30 of them. That was spectacular it's crazy right yeah and i've seen the uh international space station go over it's really cool stuff when i was a kid i loved the apollo program you know it's i mean walking on the moon and all that kind of stuff how can you and there's so much more how can you look at all this as existence and how balanced it is why are we only why are we this far from the sun and it being just right to where we don't get too hot or we don't get too cold. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that's really amazing is the axis, the 23.5% axis, degree axis that the earth is tilted. That's so we can have seasons. Uh, as, we tra as we orbit the sun, 365 days, we, the, re the reason we're tilted, and science validates this, is so we can have seasons. If it wasn't tilted, it was straight up and down 90 degree, um, we'd have no change in the weather. You know, there'd be hardly any. So all that, I say all that to say this, it's all amazing. And it's all very precise. And science has showed me that. How can you not believe in something greater than yourself um, by discovering all? Science likes to use the word discovery. I... I believe in the word revelation. I believe God gives us wisdom and understanding that only comes from him. They like to use the word that uh, discovery, which is you know kind of a Star Trek thing to boldly go and all that kind of stuff. But everywhere they go, they see the preciseness. And you're a builder. Your dad's a builder. And when you guys build something, you measure it. You make a cut. Now, if you're like me, you measure five times, cut 10 times because you still mess it up. But there, there's got to be a skill and a precision to it. You know, it, you just can't throw a pile of wood out there and say, okay, go make something of yourself. 
and so that's where you know I, I get off the science bandwagon in that respect i i appreciate and admire their discoveries but all it does to me is tell me god is real now do you struggle with your faith at all in in terms of science because one of the things that i have a hard time with is like evolution mm -hmm. right because being raised catholic like you're taught you know that's not real but then going to school and pursuing higher education you know you start to see that opposite side of okay right. well you know there is this thing mm -hmm. do you ever have a hard time you know walking that line i guess no i, I of course i don't do not uh, ascribe to evolution mm -hmm. there's a couple things that that um you know they have the dinosaurs and they have all this other kinds first of all and they really get fussy about man only being around 6,000 years and beginning with Adam, you know, because they've got all these skeletons and that they've tested that are millions of years old that they believe are the ancestors to mankind, homo sapien, what we are now. But there's a, a couple things that came to my mind because I ponder this stuff, you know, why do you think that way? You know, it's not that I dedicate my life to their thinking or trying to figure them out. But sometimes things just come to my mind. The first thing is the Bible, because they say the Bible's flawed, because we have all this other evidence of other activity and other things that exist. Well, you know what? It may have existed. But the Word of God deals with Adam's race. Adam's race was the one created, you know, uh, in Genesis uh, from the dust of the earth, you know, so you got your choice, the dust of the earth or primordial goo, you know, uh, dust of earth doesn't sound too bad compared to who knows, some kind of swamp water or something. But then where did the swamp water come from? Um, but anyway, to get back to the point. So because the Bible doesn't explain uh, dinosaurs or, or all these other kinds of things, that's where they say, well, it, it's, it's a farce. It can't be believed. But what they don't understand is the Bible is all about the redemption of mankind. It's not, and it has plenty of history in it, but it, it is really God's message to man. I, I don't care what happened before, and I'll tell you another thing in just a second. What matters now in the mind of God, in the eyes of God, is your redemption. You being saved from this fallen creation. And so that's why it's only, you know, it's like if you were to um, write a letter to somebody and you start talking about things that wouldn't, you know, wouldn't matter, they're unimportant, irrelevant, you'd leave this out. You know, if, it, if you're texting someone, hey, there's a serious problem, you wouldn't say, well, it was 63 de de degrees today and, you know, uh, it's supposed to be foggy tonight. No, you get to the point. And that's the Bible. It gets to the point. I believe Adam's race, us, has been around around 6,000 years. Doesn't fly with many people. The second thing is this. Uh, in Genesis, and this kind of goes to the dinosaur thing to me, and again, this is just me. Um, in Genesis, the very first chapter, the very first few verses, said, in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says something kind of interesting. And the earth was without form and void. Doesn't say it never existed until Adam showed up. It says between the 
the first and about the third or fourth verse when God started moving on it and began to create everything. For a period of time, I believe that there was a time when the earth was without form and void. doesn't say that it didn't exist, but there was nothing there. Now, those two words both speak of simply being empty, being without. And could that be a time when things were different? Could that be a time when the dinosaurs room? Yeah, they're, they're real. I'm not going to say they're not. But I believe it's a longer period of time than we might think. That could be where the billions of years are at before God ever, I mean, God is God. You know, it's, uh, he's infinite. Everything about him is finite. We're the ones stuck in the time frame with the scheduling. Um, time is, he's not bound to it. So if he is eternal and he never had a beginning and never had an end, what's a few billion years to him? You know, and so again, that's my thought that I don't contest that these things, anthropology and, and all these things dig up, don't exist. They obviously do. I've seen some. We all have. You know, go to a museum. But it still doesn't take away from the, the fact that just because there was something there, it was not the human race that we know today. And during that time, in that one passage of Scripture, there could have been millions and billions of years that that passed while the earth was without form and while it was void. It was empty of us. You know, we, we are his crowning creation. He loves us. And, um, you know, it, what happened in the Garden of Eden, I think, broke his heart. But yet God is righteous and um, he's merciful and he's, he's kind. And because I've exercised all of those <laughs> properties, believe me, I feel like I've, there have been days when times in my life when I've you know, tested his patience, I guess you could say. But, you know, again, that, those are my thoughts. I think that's all part of being human, you know. Mm -hmm. That's that's what makes life interesting is that we are fallible. And oh, we, we are. Do, yeah. We do make these mistakes, but mm -hmm. we we have the opportunity to learn from them. Oh, absolutely. And, and the thing is, even the scripture says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And even though he falls, not if he falls, when he falls, and I've fallen many times, he is not utterly cast down. I mean, with, um, you know, I've, I've disappointed my parents. They're both gone now, but they never uh, disowned me for it. You know, my kids, they're kids, and they, in times, have disappointed us, but they are still our kids. We still love them. And, you know, that's the other thing. Love is is everything it really is you know, and, and love is not just an emotion um you know it's it's that's a word that the world's kind of taken to itself well i love chocolate or i i love a 55 chevy which i do you know um but real love is not what um makes me feel good the greatest love is a gift. You give it. You don't have to love your mom and dad, but you do. You choose to every single day. 
your parents don't have to love you, but they do because there's lots of parents, lots of families that don't love one another. You know, we make that choice every single day. You say, well, I don't even think about it. Well, no, you may not think about it, but there is a day that any day you can walk away from all that. They can walk, you know, they won't, you won't because you love one another. You know, so I could tell my church that um, I don't have to. In fact, I've said it from the pulpit a few times. This could be my last Sunday here. I could close my Bible walk out the door and never come back. I have that choice. You know, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're we're some kind of mindless droids wandering around saying, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. We have that choice every single day that is easy for me to make. I love my wife. I love my kids. No, I don't think about like, oh, I got to love my lot because it's a natural thing to me. And that love is reciprocated. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have to go to work tomorrow if I don't want to. They're not going to come arrest me. Now, I won't be getting a paycheck, but, you know, there's nothing that I really have to do, but there are things that I choose to do for, you know, it's smart, it's common sense, but uh, we're not wired as human beings to have to do anything. This is that thing called will. It's our will to do whatever we want. Um, if we can... Uh, not care about hurting people, not care about being responsible or accountable like some people do in this day and age. Um, our choice, you know, God doesn't even touch that will. It's sovereign. It's ours to do with what we want. And uh, without rattling on too long, that's why um, that's why he put the, the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. So Adam and Eve would have a choice to serve him or not. Uh, you know, if you know the day comes, you find that special one and you want to spend the rest of your life with, you want them to choose you. You don't want them to be with you because they have to be. And same for you and, and that person. Um, it's Love is far grander because it's a choice we make to give. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave. Didn't have to. He was not obligated to rescue us. He gave freely. And that's powerful. You know, we we give. There's people you give to. And, um, you know, your family. You know, it's, it's just, it's who you are. You know, and, and that will is because when it's all said and done, we love people may get tired of them, you know, may may want to be away from them a little bit. It might wear on you a little bit. That's it, exactly. But we love people, you yeah. know, and we want to see the best for people. And that goes way back to the beginning where um, that's part of my joy in in the day um, is just see someone smile. Like I said, don't get corny about it, don't get sappy, don't get weird about it. Just Just be a nice person. And, uh, you know, it's, to me, that's better than the alternative because uh, there's lots of those running around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, you hear a lot of people say, how could, a, how could a just God let what happens in the world happen? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I feel like I fall back on is that free will mm -hmm. and is the fact that, 
you know, it's not necessarily God doing these things. It's people doing them to other people. Yeah. And that's, that's, again, that's one of those things that makes us human is we have the power to choose which path we want to walk. And you're right. And, and yeah, I've been asked that question many times, sometimes in, uh, in genuine wonder, sometimes with an antagonistic tone, but really the answer is always the same. When we, um, and I'll just, I'll just tell it to you like I believe it, because I think what you do here is straight shooting. Yeah. So, uh, when we fell, when we sinned in the garden of Eden, Adam's sin became our sin. Um, sin entered in and sin, you know, here's what a lot of people think about sin. First of all, there's a lot of self-righteous people that, that talk and preach about certain sins because they're not their sins. You know, I don't have that problem or I don't, I'm not, you know, everything in my life's good. I don't have it. So it's easy to talk about other people's sins, quote unquote. Um, and they preach about them and they teach about them because it doesn't really affect them. It's not their life. So what they do, but what sin really is, um, as it's defined in the New Testament, simply means this, to miss the mark. That's it. It's not some dastardly back alley thing that, you know, is so grotesque and so vile. And, so, and those things are out there. Those behaviors exist, obviously. But sin is just missing the mark. And Paul said in another place, he said, I press toward the mark, the high calling that is in Christ Jesus. You have to make the effort. But what sin does is it just causes us to miss the mark, you know. And have I ever sinned being a Christian? Yeah, I have. And I... Some days I think about all the things I'm going to answer for when I stand before God, and I, and I all I can think of the bad things. And then part of me says, oh, surely there, I don't know if there's ever going to be any good enough to, you know. Um, but that's what sin is. It's, it's missing the mark. So when these people, in their self-righteous attitudes, are telling everybody how much, what kind of sinner, terrible sinners other people are, they in fact are doing the same thing. Because that's not Christ. Christ didn't miss the mark. He died on the cross for all of us. He, he, you know, and they say, well, he was the son of God. Of course, he, you know, had no problem. When he went to the wilderness to be tempted to the devil, and I don't know how familiar you are with these, with these stories, he was tempted. The Bible said he was tempted. And other places said he was tempted always like we are. Um, when he went to the cross... He told him, you're not taking my life from me. I'm laying it down for you. I could come down. I could come down from the cross. But I'm choosing, and we're back to the choice thing, I'm choosing to lay down my life because I know that I am the Lamb of God. I am the sacrifice for sin. And in doing so, I have made a way. Uh, real quick, uh, when Jesus died on the cross... He said, it's finished. It's, and it wasn't so much about his earthly, the debt was paid. And when that happened, the Bible says that in the temple uh, that, that was built then, it was Herod's temple, I believe at this time, um, the temple mirrored a tent in the Old Testament called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle represented 
things that God wanted to constantly be a part of of Israel's um, spiritual awareness, if you will. And there were certain, and I'm not getting all the specifics of it, but there was a room called the Holy Place. And in that Holy Place, there were two rooms, the Holy Place, and then you went beyond this veil, this curtain, and that's where the Holy of Holies dwelt. And in the Old and New Testament, it was where the Ark of the Covenant was, the Indiana Jones Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. That's where that was. And uh, what's called the Shekinah, or the very presence of God, dwelt there. Well, it wasn't accessible to just anybody, just the high priest. And he'd go in once a year, and he would um, pray for the sins of the nation. Well, that would have had to been perpetuated over and we'd still be doing it today if it wasn't for Christ who gave his life to pay the sins debt once and for all. And when he died on the cross, that veil that in in the temple at this point, I've read that it weighed upwards of 300 pounds. It was huge. Um, it was rent, torn in half from top to bottom, signifying that no more do we have, do we have just a high priest, just a pope to absolve us of anything that we have access ourself, that you can go to God. I can go to God. person down the street can go to God. And everyone, you know, the Bible says, whosoever will. And that is, um, that's what he did. You know, it, we have access to God. And he knows us. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And, uh, and he loves us. He gave a son. You know, Nick, you're pretty cool, and I like you, but I'm not so sure I'm going to give my son for you. Yeah, you know, understandably, and and I don't think you would either. But he did, and um, yeah. So it just gets back to the appreciation thing. He's, I'm not, I'm in no way, shape, or form worthy of what he's done for me, and he has blessed me. I'm beyond measure it's not been material things it's just been the peace um you know like through all this covid thing or as i call it the china flu (laughs) but that's me that's not a trump thing i thought of it before he did but um um you know a lot of people suffered a lot of people came out of this really scarred and their anxiety and their their fear is real. There were people that um, probably years before they can ever take their mask off. Um, I never liked it to begin with. Yeah. You know, fortunately, I spent most of the day by myself, so I didn't hardly ever wore it. And um, but I had peace. That doesn't mean I just ran through a crowd of people I didn't know and give them hugs and everything. No, you got to be smart about this kind of stuff. I, yeah, it was real. It is real. Um, but you can also guess what another thing has gone by the wayside. Common sense. You know, why don't we exercise some common sense about this? And, and, um, and so that's what I tried to do. But even though I, my heart broke for the people that really, and people died. You know, it's a, and maybe they still are. It's a terrible thing. Um, it's not the first thing. And sadly, it probably won't be the last thing that comes our way. Uh, but... Even though, you know, when you're, someone's got to, I was uh, involved in the fire department for a while, 
I really enjoyed it and became an EMT. One of the first things they preached to us is it's not your emergency. In other words, if you go running in there with your hair on fire, you may become part of the uh, rescue and not the rescuer. So you have to be measured. You have to be able to, and they teach you, you have to be able to understand what you're, look around, be aware, uh, the scene safety aspect of it. And, uh, you know, you just don't go running in there and grab a hold of somebody that's in water when there might be a power line there too, you know, that kind of, and, and that's how I try to live. I try to take a breath and see what's really going on. Again, not that that was uh, a light thing at all. But there are people that will take a long time to recover psychologically from this because their mask has been their safety net. And I'm not putting down masks at all or the people that wear them. Um, but I'm not going to give them bad time about it either. You know, it's, you know, and if uh, somehow someone can help someone, you know, that's what we're, that's what we're going to do. But I'm not going to degrade them and, you know, like some of them do if you don't wear a mask. <laughs> that's the thing is it's almost like human decency has kind of gone out, You're gone right. out of the window as well. You're right. Uh, it has. Um, you know, I don't know how much time we got here. but We got all, we got as much time as, well, as you want. Just give me the signal when I get boring, go yeah, whatever, you know. I'll just cut the camera. Yeah, there you go. I'll be talking for 15 minutes and you'll be okay. Yeah, if I pass out, maybe now? that'll be a good sign. Are you done now? <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, you're right. And you see things. Like I said, I've watched your podcast and I, I like how you observe you know, cause I'm one too, you know, and, um, I don't need to be talking all the time. This is kind of wearing me out to be honest. <laughs> this is not what I do, Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, what were we talking about? You made a good point. Um, just that, you know, people are not as compassionate, I yeah, think right now. And I get that it's in the beginning, it was a time of crisis and people were a little bit on edge, but it, I mean, like you said, if you, if someone sees someone else walking down the street without a mask, I've gone on runs without a mask yeah. outside, mm -hmm. you know, not bumping into people or anything right. and had people yell at me yeah. to put a mask on. And it's like, what are we, what are yeah. we doing right now? Yeah. This is, this is fairyland. Yeah. Like, You're right. And it, and, and very much so. Okay. From the beginning, I didn't really listen to the politicians on this because they're politicians. Mm-hmm. And like I've already said, I, I have a measure of confidence in science. They, they don't know everything. Uh, um, they don't know as much as they think they do. So I kind of went past all of that and I started reading CDC stuff. I would hear things. Uh, I didn't realize in the end how political the CDC is. Uh, so that was a lesson to me. But one of the, th a couple of things they talked about early on was that this thing didn't do well outside. And eventually it's been several months ago, maybe six, eight months ago that they said it doesn't do well on hard surfaces like your table here. And it wasn't just, and it wasn't the shrill political headache stuff, you know, the back and forth stuff. Just, I don't watch it anymore. I yeah, I be, can't. I used to be a news junkie. I really mm. was not anymore. For one thing, it's not news anymore. It's it's people's propaganda. It's almost like reality TV now. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, yeah it it really is. You know, with 
with the the words of the day and all that kind of stuff from, from all of it. You know, it's not just one. But anyway, so I, I tried to go around all that and get some real information, and I think I did. Um, but I would hear, and not the mainstream stuff, because they have to keep a narrative going, as you well know. And they have to keep things like this going as well as they can because they profit from people's fear, from people's paranoia. You know, they, they profit. You know, they, they, uh, that's kind of the world we live in, you know. Uh, um, it just, it's been that way. Now, I don't want to get off on all the, that tangent, but, you know, one of the biggest tools of a dictator, of someone trying to uh, overthrow a government or establish a government or is fear. You know they're bad. That they're they're going to do this to you if you if you don't follow me. This is what they're going to do, and it it's been that way for a long time. I mean, you can go back to even before the Hitlers and Stalin's and all that stuff. You know, um, of course with Stalin, his his uh, way of striking fear was just killing everybody. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So marching them off, and you never saw them again. And uh, so so when when you, you and these guys need listeners, they need eyeballs, they need people to believe them, you know. And it gets back to that celebrity thing because so and so said it; it's got to be true, you know. Whoever that so and so is, and I would say, do your own research. Yeah. Don't take things that's what people say. I mean, they may be right, but and and that's what I did. And then I would find out how some of these. Uh, COVID numbers, the deaths, tragic. But there are people that were dying that were listed as COVID cause of death that weren't. Again, to to kind of keep the hysteria going. And um, so I, ju I just lived by a couple things. I stayed away from everybody. I, I wore a mask for other people, not myself. Uh, not that I'm going to go down to Winco and just run around no mask on at that time or anything like that and just try to be smart. You know, I'm not a super social person anyway, so it wasn't hard for me to, uh, not do that. And, uh, they shut the church down for a while, but then there was a point in time <clears throat> they opened it up, said, you go back with a certain percentage, well and good with all of the, the, uh, uh, things in place for cleaning and all that. And we did that. And then they shut us down again. And they said, well, you can go outside and have church. So I looked into buying a, a tent and have outdoor service. And uh, it was during the winter. It was cold, wet, raining. And I thought, you know what? We're just, we're just going to go back inside. And we never went back out. And we were fine because people were smart. We, we families sat apart from each other. We you know, did the elbow bump and all that for a while and, and wore masks and, uh, <clears throat> we were fine. You know, and you just can't believe, um, what people say all the time. You, you got to kind of, every one of us has some kind of measure of wisdom. <clears throat> and sometimes this, we just have to exercise that and be smart about things. And if people didn't feel good, they stayed home. You know, and nobody in our congregation um, ever got it, uh, never passed it on. You didn't get it, so you can pass it on. It was never passed on to them, especially through the church. So, again, we navigated fairly well compared to others uh, that were more dependent on 
the the giving, which I'm all for it, you know, tithes and offerings and stuff like that. It is scriptural, but we're not so dependent on it that we can't function with it dropping down, you know. So, um, but like I said, there and there's a lot of fear, and fear is a powerful manipulator. It um, it controls controls a lot of people. Yeah, it's a real problem. Yeah, and and the people wielding that is a real problem, and it's just a crazy time. And again, that just ties back into what life is. I mean, life is a constant barrage of of overwhelming things that if you let them mm-hmm. overwhelm you, you you'll lose yourself. Yeah, I mean that's that's been through history, like Hitler, Stalin. Mm-hmm. You can go to. I mean, any number of tragedies that have occurred yeah. all over the world and are still occurring all over. Oh the yeah, world. I mean, today we have dictators. They, yeah, there's there's not a lot of money in the countries that they dictate, so we don't hear. But there's places in Africa, uh, the tribes that are the was it the Hutus and the another tribe I forget what they are that are just vicious toward one another. I mean, we had Saddam for a while, you know, and uh, these guys play for keeps. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's another thing. Um, you know, like I said, I don't approach things from a political standpoint. But, I, you know, it's like Russia, you know, and, and even China. I told people that because uh, it was the bat thing, you know, where it was in a wet market and all that. And I said, you know, China's not our friend. They want to make money off of us, and we want to make money off of them. And so we're back to the money thing. But um, China's not our friend. You know, they, they may enter into business ventures with us for their gain. And uh, Russia is certainly not our friend. You know, um, Putin, Putin is a ruthless individual. If people really knew the things that he did and the... You know, the, uh, of course, most Russian uh, uh, political figures are pretty ruthless. That's how they got there. You know, the KGB is a nasty business, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, uh, yeah. See, I like to read books, a lot of history yeah, books Yeah, you, you, you're definitely well-versed, I can tell. <laughs> well, I just, because that interests me. Mm-hmm. I, again, it, it when when you get away from the news cycles and the shallow magazines and radio shows and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you start reading books, you start reading history because most of history has been validated. You know, it, it has been proven to be, that's the way it was. And, uh, and that's where, for one thing, someone said history repeats itself. What does? Because life is cyclical, you know, this life here, um, you know, when I was in high school, it was, Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones and my favorite band, Boston, and Elton John, like Elton John, sorry, I do. Um, you know, him and Bernie Taupin, you know, music and the lyrics. Um, well, that stuff comes around again. You know, in fact, I read an article in USA Today back in my news junkie days where this was in the early 90s. Now, Led Zeppelin had been out of the scene for 15, 20 years, except for the hardcore people. But for me, I got so sick of Stairway in Heaven in the high school cafeteria. Ugh. I just, I'd turn around and walk out. Sometimes I'd hear it playing it just over and over and over again. But here I read in the early 90s where all of this music from the 70s 
is coming back. Kids are listening to it, and a lot of kids still do listen to it, you know, as as it's preferred to today's music. Don't even get me started on the auto-tune and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, uh, they had real musicians back then, real singers, the Eagles, you know, crazy bunch of guys. I really don't like a couple of them because they're mean, but uh, one of them's dead, sadly. But, um, but man, they're musicians. They're real, authentic. And see, that's what I want in my life is authenticity. I want to be authentic in what I, what I believe. And I believe God is the author of authenticity. You know, I want to be real. I, I don't like the, the show of religion. I, I, and, and here's another thing, let's face it, religion has been pretty powerful in the way of dictatorships also. Oh, a lot of people, yeah. that's their gripe against religion yeah. is that it's been used to oppress people mm -hmm. throughout history in yeah. a lot of cases. Absolutely, and they're right. And you see, I don't defend what's not right. I don't defend what's wrong. And religion has had more than its share of dark days. And we still see some of it, you know, with the, the pedophile thing and, and this and that. <clears throat> but even so, it's... Uh, um, yeah, religion has, is not escaped, um, and shouldn't escape the scrutiny. I, I, and see, that's why it's okay for me because I, I hold myself accountable and I don't just say that I really do. I'm my own worst critic. Nobody can be harder on me than me. And I'm real about who I am. I know I've got a long way to go. I know I've failed miserably more times than I can count. And, um, and I will fail again, I'm not trying to, but, um, I'll fall short. I can't, one of the greatest men of God to ever walk the face of the earth, David in the old Testament. Uh, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. And there was a time David was king at this point, And so there was a time when the Israel went to war and David didn't go with him. Well, he was supposed to. That's what the kings did. They led their armies. They're not like today where our leaders sit back in the cushy confines of good old America and boys and girls go over and do their bidding. Um, kings led their, their armies into battle. Well, David stayed behind. And the Bible says that he had an eye for a certain woman named Bathsheba. And so here's what he did. He was so consumed with lust, a man after God's own, God's own heart wanted her so badly that he sent her husband, who was a good soldier, who was a patriot to Israel, who believed in the king and knew that this was a suicide mission. David sent her husband, Uriah, on a suicide mission. He went because he knew you know, he's a smart man. He knew he wasn't coming back, but he went because he honored the king. What David did was was as bad as any mob boss had ever done. Got the guy out of the way, so he got the girl. Um, he was called on the carpet and he repented. You know, and here we go with the, the repentance thing with uh, uh, the merciful God. Because what David did was worthy of... of hell opening up right there and swallowing him up. Things I've done, same thing. But God sent a prophet along 
with a story, and I won't go into the story because it's too long, but David realized he was guilty. But one thing David didn't do that we see all the time now is he didn't blame anybody else. And say, oh, Bathsheba shouldn't have been out there naked on the roof. You know, I'm just a man. You know, he said, this is me. I did it. These are my sins. And in Psalm 51, he, he in, a, in a beautiful writing, he, he repented. And he realized what he had done. And he sought hard for God's mercy and forgiveness. And God did forgive him. But, um, you know, getting back to how we can fall. You know, and, and the church, not just Catholic church, Protestant churches too, have committed heinous crimes. Uh, none of us are exempt. We're all guilty uh, to one degree or another. And uh, so, yeah, when we talk about scoundrels of history, you know, uh, you know, we could go. It's a long list. It's a long list. Yeah. It's ever since Cain and Abel, you know, so um so yeah, it is a long list and it's, and we all have the potential to be on it, you know, if we make those choices. So have you ever had like a crisis of faith? You know, that's an interesting question. There have been times when I thought that I did when I was younger. I don't know what was the matter with me. Maybe I shouldn't tell you this because I was your authority figure for a while. <laughs> <laughs> But I was in junior high in the windship, and it was about the ninth grade. For some reason, I just turned into a little jerk, a big jerk, for most of that year. And like I said, I got saved when I was 14, so it's been a couple years later now. Maybe a year later, I don't know. Um, but I don't know what was, the, what was the matter with me. I just got kept getting into trouble. Um, a teacher... And I still feel bad about this. He was a student teacher, and I gave him such a hard time. I, I mean, I cussed him out. I, I, was, I was just despicable. There's my despicability, if you will. And got referral after referral after referral. I was trying to set a record, I think. But it was just a short period of time. It was less than probably a few months or a year. And I kind of turned my back on God. You know, you know, I just, I don't know why to this day. I don't know why. I don't know if you'd call that a crisis of faith because I always believe God is real. Um, that end has never changed. It's just my attitude. But I saw him in a laundromat a while later. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm and I had kind of mellowed out by then. It was just a, a spurt of stupidity and even when I was doing it, I go, this isn't me. This isn't what I want to be. You know, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I don't know. I was hormones or whatever. But, um, yeah, for a little while, I was a pretty bad kid. I saw him in a laundromat over Myrtle Avenue a time after that. And, I, and I, like I said, I pretty much got rid of that stupid attitude. And I talked to him, asked him how he was. He goes, well, I'm doing all right. He goes, you know. You made me think about becoming a teacher, whether I really want to do it or not. And I thought, oh my gosh, how could you do something like that? You know, and I tried to encourage him. I'm still just a stupid kid. But I thought, you know, and that stayed with me all these years. And 
Um, it's like to have that kind, such a terrible influence on someone that they put all this time and effort. And of course I've embellished it some now cause I understand the process more, but, uh, just the fact that he was thinking about quitting didn't make me feel good at all. And that was probably the only time that I really, uh, behaved that way. But I, I can say I never had a, a crisis of who God is um, because I've seen him, I've seen just the things I know about that he has done for me and for my family. Um, I get tired. Yeah, everybody gets tired. You know, sometimes we we get weary because this load that we carry is, it's a, it's a load. You know, uh, another quick Bible story, the, um, the Jews lost that Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines in battle. They took it and they kept it for a while, but it didn't work out for them because their gods were, they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of Dagon and basically their idols were falling down and collapsing. And, and so they were afraid and they put the Ark on a, a ox cart and shipped it back to, to Israel. And when Israel saw it coming, they rejoiced. This is our ark. This is our inspiration. This is the sign that God is with us. Um, but the problem was this, that as the ark ox cart went along, one of the ox started to stumble. And a fellow by the name of, I forget his name. Don't even want to misquote it. Anyway, a fellow reached out his hand to steady the ark and God struck him dead. David was furious. Why would you do that? He was doing a good thing. Well, see, the ark never belonged on an ox cart. When it was made, it would have on each corner these eyelets. And the eyelets were where staves or sticks or poles were run through. And two of the, uh, four of the Levites, which were a uh, type of person that they had the charge of, of taking care of all of the furniture and everything of the tabernacle. Anyway, it was meant to be born, carried on the shoulders of the Levites, not an ox cart. And that burden is real to me. Uh, sometimes I, I just kind of stand and watch people, people I care about, people I know, and I just start praying for him. Uh, and, but to put is more convenient, more comfortable to put it on the ox cart, but that's not God's will. And so, yeah, there is a burden that I feel, but then I think of people that around the world that are really suffering. Uh, they try to have church this Sunday in some countries. They take their lives in their hands. I don't. You know, I, I don't pretend to think that I am suffering like they are. I'm, I'm ashamed to even think that. But yet we are called, and God knows, we are called to bear our burdens and other people's burdens. And uh, so, yeah, you can get a little tired sometimes emotionally, I guess. Um, if you invest in people, you, get, you can get betrayed, and I've been betrayed. I've been horribly disappointed by some people. Um, 
there have been people like like everybody experiences that you know I thought were my friends and found out I was investing in this friendship and found out all they were really doing was stabbing me in the back. Um, so, but again, it's never been like God. This is your fault. This is just life. This this happens. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. You're not you're not going to go through this world unscathed. You know, it, it's uh, it is this world, and all of us are going to get wounded. Just because you're a Christian, you don't get special privileges. You don't get to miss out on the on the fun and activities. You know, you're going to get your heart broke. You're going to get betrayed. You're, you're going to get, you know, all the things that we prefer not happening to us in our lives. We get it too. And uh, of course, then you got the other fellow, the devil that makes sure, because he does want to discourage us. You know, he, he uh, wants us to make the wrong choices, wants us to do the knee jerk reactions and judge people without knowing people. Um, you know, I found out when you get to know somebody, it's, you're not that interested in judging them because you like them. You find out they're nice people. They're good people. And, uh, you know, but when you can stand afar off and point your finger and self-righteous, and go, you, you know, that don't work. When you do that, yeah, it's, it's easy to, you know, to, Christians don't blame other people for our mess-ups. And uh, if anything, we try to find that person and fix it. Sometimes you can. Sometimes your stupid mouth gets running too much, you know. <laughs> so I try not to say too much. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to tear down people when you don't know them, It's right? the easiest thing. Yeah, there's that degree of separation where it's like, I don't really know this yeah. person. I feel no attachment to them, so I can just crap all over them, and it's not going to affect me. Yeah, and what is that? I mean... As a human being, let alone as someone that believes in God and God's righteousness, just as a human being. Of course, human nature is a weird thing. You know, it's inherently flawed and uh, we're all stuck with it. I'm stuck with it. I still have it, you know, even though I believe I have a, uh, that I have a, I'm a new person in Christ, I'm still in this flesh. I'm still a human being. I'm still susceptible to what everybody else is. You know, um, I'm not superhuman. I'm really not. <laughs> now, you keep saying you were saved when you were 14. Do you mind if I ask what happened? Oh, sure. Um, my aunt uh, died of cancer, and she was kind of like one of the favorite aunt people. She's young. She's only 36. And her and another aunt were just the greatest. My other aunt, thankfully, is still alive, but... She's in her 80s now. But anyway, um, so she died back in the early 70s. And from that, <clears throat> the pastor that did the uh, funeral, and he was a good man. He'd come around, he'd visit the families and stuff and check up. Well, they got to know him. And and my aunts and, and some uncles and cousins all started going to church. And I didn't think nothing of it. I didn't think nothing about church. You know, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't it was neither to me. It just nothing I thought about. Well, after a period of time, I got invited to a potluck, um, church potluck out at, uh, Pamplin Grove out highway 36. <clears throat> and, um, so we had the potluck, we played ball and it was fun and lots of young people and it was just a good time. 
well, they were going to have a baptismal service down at the Van Dusen River. So I went down, and there, I would say there might have been 10, 15 people, you know, after a ceremony and maybe a little sermon lined up to get baptized. And I was standing off about, oh, 30 feet, I'd say, in amongst another crowd of just people watching. And I had no idea what I was watching. I didn't know what baptism was. I didn't know anything about church. And as I was standing there, and I don't even know what the preacher was saying, I'm not kidding, Nick, I just felt this, this tug, this urging out of nowhere that I needed to be baptized. And so the preacher made a final, you know, is there anybody else? And this is not me. I mean, I'm kind of backwards now. I was so backwards and so shy and so be ridiculous. I started walking up there and I said, I'd like to be baptized. And he says, have, are you, are you saved? Didn't know what that meant. I said, I'm not sure what you're talking about. He said, have you ever asked Jesus in your heart? I said, nope, since I don't know what that means, I haven't. So he said, well, you, you know, should do this before you get baptized. And so he, he said, just repeat these words after me and mean it in your heart. And so I began to, and it's just a simple salvation prayer, nothing fancy or anything like that. And, um, along that, that prayer had my eyes closed and there, of course, is a degree of light that shines through your eyelids. You know, it's not pitch black. When I did that, during that prayer, it got brighter. It got brighter. And I realized, again, not, not knowing, I didn't get instilled with instant knowledge of what I didn't know. But whatever it was, I knew it was real. And I had no preconceived idea to base it on. I had no spiritual history. To, oh, this is what grandma told me about. It wasn't like that at all because none of us were church people. Um, that was real. And from that time, 14 years old, um, the process began. And uh, other than the stupid time I just told you about, it just it just never has stopped. You know, it, it just... Uh, and it just is, it's my fulfillment. It's my purpose. It's, it's, um, this world can't really fulfill me. I'm 59 years old. I mean, how many times you got to keep doing stuff before you've done it enough? You know, I feel that way about Christmas. You know, I love grandkids having Christmas and this and that, but, and my birthday, oh my gosh. Oh, I feel that way about my birthday <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't need these anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, you, but with Christ, to me, it's never repetition. It's never a ritual. It's never just going through the motions of things. It, it's real. Now, I don't always live up to um, my end of the deal, I guess you could say. Um, but I never question God or his reality or his love for people. And that's one of the things that motivates me, too, is that I, I pray for people you know, that's the thing about um, Christian activity, I guess you could say. And I've talked to people, not too many, but some, where um, 
you know, why, why do you believe what you believe? And they're a little science-based and all that. And like I said, I already said, I embrace it to a certain degree. And I have told one or two, I said, you know, if I'm a crazy old man, and I tell you that when I pray, I am praying for this God you don't believe in to save you, to make your life fuller and richer. And I'm never praying anything bad. I'm never, God, strike him down. I'm always praying for better things for you, a better life, a better understanding. What's wrong with that? Or how does that hurt anybody? And I don't go down on the street corner. Jesus said, you know, you got you got two types of people. The ones that like to show everybody they're a Christian. You know, they make the loud noise and the scream and then this and that. And, and Jesus said, when you pray, don't go down on the street corner and make these big orations that everybody hears. And they go, oh, he's so spiritual. I said, when you fast, don't walk around with sackcloth and ashes and rub ashes all over you and woe is me and uh you know i'm i'm fasting said when you do it when you pray go in the closet shut the door when you fast get up in the morning take a bath put on some cologne if you want i'm paraphrasing but that's what he's saying he said anoint your head and go about your business like nothing is going on because it doesn't matter what people know because you're trying to get god's attention you're trying and so when i and that's one thing i like about I love about being a Christian is I can, I can pray for people. I hear things. I don't need no details. Someone's having a bad day. Someone's family's in trouble. I don't know. Okay. Well, what do you mean by that? You know, that is not important. I know there's trouble. And, and so I pray and no one ever knows it. And well, up until now, no one, no one will ever know it because, um, that is kind of who I am. I'll tell you the truth. They even thought, ah, I'll call Nick and maybe tell him. I thought, well, first of all, he'd be lying because there's nothing wrong with you. Because, like I said, this this isn't me. And I, well, you know what? Maybe he'll go, eh, I will not run this one. So <laughs> if you do that, I'm fine. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really glad that you decided to come and do it because I think this is a really powerful side of Christianity that doesn't get talked about a lot. You know, you see the people standing outside Planned Parenthood and, mm -hmm. and belittling people that are going inside, or you see the people that try to put others down because their faith isn't the same, right. or they believe something else, or mm -hmm. their sexual preference, or whatever it is. You see that side. Mm -hmm. That side gets blown out of proportion. Oh, you absolutely. See it, you see it everywhere. Yeah. But you don't get this perspective a whole lot. This well, one kind of lies a little... The less flashy, the less showy. Well, that's I, me. Yeah, I think that's important. I'm a boring though. person. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> think so. I think, I think that this is something that, you know, more people. I think it's good that more people will hear that. Well, another thing. There are many, in America and around the world, that that's how they live their faith. They. Paul said in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, I forget the order, principalities, uh, rulers of darkness in high places, those kinds of things. This is a spiritual battle. Um, so knowing that, 
you know, you ever walk up to someone and say hi to them and they bite your head off? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. And for a long time, I thought, what in the world did I do? You know, well, then I came to realize it wasn't about me at all. Something else is going on. You know, something else is is bugging them. I couldn't have brought that response with anything I did. And so it, it helps me, makes me realize, and, and there are people with a lot, facing a lot of challenges in their life that they have no refuge from. Uh, they're lost. You know, they're really lost. They have, and I'm not. It's not that I'm that wise or that smart, but I, I understand, even though I've maybe never been where you are, I understand where you are. And, you know, the Bible, the ministry, and we've been studying the ministry in our Bible study, is ministering to people. The essence of ministry is to help people. Now, maybe I can help someone with a $20 bill, but I really don't. You do that anymore. I kind of learned my lesson, but I'll buy them a meal. You know, I'll, I'll give to an organization that um, is better equipped to, to feed and clothe people and, um, and those kinds of things, which are important. But um, my enemy is not humanity. My enemy is not even the person that doesn't like what I believe and, and tries to pigeonhole me or categorize me. Um, you know, the Bible says pray for your enemies. Pray for those that are bad to you. That's powerful. That I don't return hate with hate, but I return evil with good. And, you know, it's, it's, it's perfect God's version of Christianity is perfect. It is, is beyond reproach. Now, what I do to it is not perfect. But his word, his love, his patience, his long-suffering is perfect. He is perfect. And again, then you say, well, if he's so perfect, how come all these things happen to people? Well, that's because of sin, like we talked about. That, and here's another thing people are trying to get away from. There are consequences. And um, I believe in consequences. Um, there will be consequences for people's actions. Yeah, it may be legal in one respect, but uh, you don't know who you're affecting, whose life you're affecting, whatever the, the thing that's lawful now. Um, that You know, it's the thing about... <laughs> about man you can go all the way back to prohibition you can't beat it so make it legal you know we see that with the pot thing now you know you can't it's never going to go away it, it never will so let's legalize it and make some money off it and that's what's happened that was prohibition they couldn't they couldn't um, flush out all that all the stuff in the south and all that and the, the moonshine and this and that and so you know, when they tried prohibition, it didn't work because people figured out how to go around it. And so, you know what, let's legalize it and make an industry out of it and a tax base. So they did. And, uh, but with God, it's never, I didn't see that one coming, or I guess I can't deal with that. His righteousness stands and I will be judged. I don't, I'm not exempt from anything because I'm a card-carrying, ordained bishop. 
uh, with the Church of God. Um, I'm not exempt because I preach thousands of sermons or, or any of that church stuff. I'm still going to answer because God is righteous. I'm still going to be held accountable. So we, you know, people will skate through, um, but they there will come a day, you know, when when I'm going to answer, and hopefully there's enough, some good to <laughs> counteract the idiocy that has been a lot of my life. <laughs> One of the things that I find myself struggling with more as I get older is kind of my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. You know, I was raised Catholic right out of the gate. I went through baptism, mm -hmm. first communion, confirmation, Sunday school, you know, church sure. every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And as I've gotten older and kind of like what I was saying, traversed this higher education path and just, just gone out and tried to experience more of the world, you know, sure. is I, I don't really know what I believe and what's been ingrained in me. Cause when you're a kid, you're so malleable. Like yeah. you just latch on yeah. to whatever is being taught to you, yeah. especially if it's coming from your parents or, you know, a figure like a priest or a mm -hmm. pastor, um, that I try to come back to it and see, okay, where do I stand? You know, yeah. what do I believe? What do I feel? Yep. And, there's definitely some of it that's ingrained. That's just like base level. Like that's just in me. Yeah. And then there's some of it that it's like, okay, well, how do I really feel about that? Mm -hmm. You know? And I've tried to, every time I try to look into that, I always hit this wall of, okay, what is me? And what is, what is something that has been taught to me? Right. And I think, you know, that's part of, part of me is like, man, I wish they waited to teach religion to people that, kind of chose that path, right. which is why hearing your story kind of speaks to me and that mm -hmm. you found it, you know, your parents weren't super religious. Mm -hmm. That wasn't brought into your life at a young age. Like you found that mm -hmm. on your own accord or you were pulled to that. Yeah. But I didn't have that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand that. And I think that your approach is excellent. You know, we, we should um, examine anything, you know, um, the Bible says, try the spirits. Um, and it's okay to wonder, you know, uh, think, think of doubting Thomas in the new Testament after Jesus was resurrected. And a lot of people come down on him because he, uh, he just wasn't sure. And Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus didn't say, oh, you're on your way to hell, bud, because I'm right here. And he said, I've got proof for you. He said, look at my hands, the nail scars. Thrust your hand into my side where I was stabbed, ran through with a spear. And when Thomas saw the evidence, and see, I believe in evidence. I don't think anybody should follow God just because grandma and grandpa did. Yeah. You know, kind of what you're saying. And I, I think you're right. I absolutely think you're right. First of all, we have to... Real Christianity is built on a personal relationship with God, with Christ. Um, he wants us to know him. And I know that sounds way out there, and that's a discussion for another time, but he really he is able to communicate with us. He's God. He made us. He knows um, how to talk to us. But Thomas, he wasn't thrown under the bus, proverbially speaking, because he asked questions. 
You know, he could have went along with the crowd, but he will st still have that doubt. Was it really him? Jesus wanted him to know it was really him. And he presented him with the absolute evidence that Thomas could see he was there. He, he knows. And, you know, he, he was there when they buried Jesus. He probably helped dress him in the burial garments. He saw the nail-scarred hands. Jesus looked differently. Um when he was resurrected his his uh, two or three times in scripture we see some of his followers uh, even walking with him and not recognizing him so for whatever reason uh, Jesus didn't look like the Jesus that walked the earth for the 30 some years he he was um, he was different for whatever reason um, except that he had the scars and that's one thing that always kind of intrigues me and, and humbles me because that's another key component, I believe, to, to the road to real faith is it's got to be a humble road. Um, it, it just, you know, the Bible said, the prophet said, he has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do to love mercy, to do justly, and to walk humbly with your God. And uh, humility can't be contrived. It, when humility is real, it's powerful. It's not weakness. It, it's powerful. And people think of meekness as cowardly. It's not. Meekness is just willing to be able to learn. Now, you're half my age at least, but you build houses, right? You know more about building houses than I do. Some guys my age would be offended by that and say, just a kid, he ain't show me anything. But I know you know more about building a house. I can do it, but you're better at it. So I would ask you advice. You know, what do you think about this cut? Or what do you think? You have more knowledge. So why would I not come to you that knows more than I do and say, Nick, can you help me out here? And you might go, oh, man, get lost. You know? <laughs> but that's what humility is. Mm. I'm not a know-it-all. I'm, I'm really not. I'm learning things every day. Um, your mom tells me some of the stuff your dad does. I'm, man, that is so cool. I can't do it. I mean, he's a real builder, too. I'm, I'm a fake. <laughs> you know. But, uh, and I admire that kind of talent and ability, that, that skill. You know, it's a craft. And, and doesn't it's kind of going away just in the whole realm of people being able to do stuff with their hands. So I'm humbled when I, when I hear how good people are. That My wife is a... I'll tell you, when I, when I really start thinking about what... And I'm not just talking about her because she's my wife, but she is incredibly talented. She's a tremendous singer. She's an accomplished musician. She's a published author, um, and she's an amazing artist. I mean, I don't mean just, yeah, she can paint by numbers. She is good. And uh, I, I sometimes, I'm not kidding, when I start tell people how much she can do, I forget how much she's capable of and her talent. And plus, she's a great mom and a great wife and a great grandma. Not a great grandma, but she is a great grandmother <laughs> she may not like that yeah part. i was gonna say it's good you clarified <laughs> that but uh 
so yeah, I mean, I hope I contribute something to the marriage and the relationship, but she does amazing stuff and I'm in awe of that. I'm in awe of people that really, you know, real musicians. And I mean, I pluck around on the guitar a little bit, but I mean, people are really good. Um, I'm not jealous of it. I appreciate it. And I, you know, sometimes it makes me want to do what I do, pack it up and throw it in the bay, you know, so, um, because they're so much better, but I mean, why can we not, what, who says, because you're twice someone's age that you can't learn from them, that they're actually better than you are at some things. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it. And when you, when you realize that, that then you apply the things to how much better God is than all of us. And yet he still loves it. He didn't have to. He chose like we'd already talked about. And, uh, but humility, um, fake anything will come out in the end. You know, fake humility, fake companionship. It has an expiration date because it's not real. And, you know, God is real. If there's anything, if my tombstone was to say anything, an epitaph, he is real. He was real. That's it. I am who I am. It would wear me out to try to be fake anyway. I'm just not that smart. You know, I'm and too it's shallow. exhausting. That's what I mean. That's the thing. Because I mean, you see these people, I mean, you can run into them every day. You see these people that yep. are trying to be somebody else, whether it's because they feel uncomfortable with who they are, or they whatever reason. I mean, there's thousands yeah. of reasons. Yeah. But trying to live your life that way, day in and day out, is exhausting. It's, it's the gotta perfect be. word. Yeah. Which lie do I got to keep up with today? Yeah. Who do I got? Did I pretend I like them already or not? I just. It's too, life's too short to try oh, to live it that absolutely. way. Absolutely. It's good you know that already. I mean, it, I'm getting toward the end of mine and I'm glad I figured it out because life is too short for such nonsense. You know, it's, uh, I don't have time for it. I, you know, I am who I am. What you see is what you get. Uh, I like everybody. I love everybody. I pray for people. I pray for people I don't even know. I pray for atheists. You know, there's a fellow that you might be aware of him. His name's Neil deGrasse. Tyson. Tyson. Yeah. Interesting yeah. fellow. Sorry. Yeah, very that. smart man. Oh, incredible. And I, you know, I've told people, they go, oh, I said, I think I could sit down and have a cup of coffee with that guy. But he said something, and he's um, he's agnostic, actually, which means... I'll believe God is real if you prove it to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've met a lot of people like that. And, um, but I've watched some of his YouTube stuff and, and there are, there are, uh, people that are, uh, advocates and apostles for science that are just vicious and they're, they're haters, you know, real haters, <clears throat> but this guy doesn't seem that way. Anyway, he was being asked, um, here's another problem the church has. When science can't explain, uh, and they will say that there are gaps in their theories and their hypotheses, that's all they are. They're not fact. It's a theory that might be, you know, uh, that, that sign there, that Oregon license plate might have two nails holding on the wall. Can't really tell from here. <laughs> well, yeah, I can, but you know, there might be more. Mm -hmm. So that's the theory. That's the hypothesis. And you start studying. So I'm going to start studying that. Well, when they do that, 
they can't explain everything they believe. And um, I guess he's a doctor, he's an astrophysicist, I know that. So Dr. Tyson, um, he was going on one of his things. And he said, I get asked the question, what would happen before then? He goes, I don't know. I don't know. That's pretty honest. Didn't try to bluff his way through it. You know, didn't try to lose him in a, a smoke screen of big fancy words and terminology and mathematical equations. I don't know. I don't know what was before then. You know, all I've got to go on is this. And so, you know, science believes in the empirical evidence <clears throat> that I got to see it to believe it, you know, like, like your studio. Uh, I can tell people, yeah, he's really got one because I've seen it, you know, yeah. that's empirical evidence. And uh, so I thought with all you know and all you've explained and all you've seen and all you believe, and he still leaves the door open a little bit for God or something. Um, he is real enough when he's asked the question, what happened? How did the primordial goo get there? How, how did the big bang, the components come together? Yeah, they came together, but where did they come from? He says, I don't know. And to me, it's simple. I don't argue the Big Bang. There may have been a Big Bang. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I, um, you know, not arguing the dinosaurs, not arguing any of that stuff. But what I'm saying, all that matters to God is Adam's race. All that matters to God is Nick and his family, people I work with, uh, Dr. Tyson, the rest of them. They matter to God. And so it matters to me. And, um, but the thing I was getting to is so what the church messes up in doing and thinking they have to have an answer for everything. So now with these so-called gaps between uh, this theory and hypothesis and how is it going to link to what we think happened. So church people insert God in there and they call it God of the gaps so the reason you can't link these two together is because God's in the middle. He's, he's the link to it. And it's really, and I don't want to certainly sound pious or anything, but it's kind of short-sighted, kind of spiritually shallow. Because I don't serve a God that just fits into the gaps where science can't explain. I serve the God of science. I serve the God that created everything that they're trying to figure out and can't. You know, he, he's not a gap filler. He's not, oh, we can, let's slip God in their theories and stuff. God's above their theories. He's beyond their hypothesis. He's, he's beyond mathematical equation. I love math. I'm not very good at it, but I appreciate those that are. I mean, I, I think it's really cool. Um, even philosophies, you know, metaphysics and all that kind of stuff. Um, Aristotle. I'm not trying to show you how smart I am because I'm not. I read. <laughs> but he was, you know, he believed in a type of God with the called the prime mover. And it's a, you can read it and it, I'm not going to bore you with it now. But see, I read that stuff and I realize people, these kinds of people, even though they're not necessarily reaching or accepting God, they're reaching for him and they don't even know it. And that's kind of exciting to me because then I pray that people's eyes get open 
Not that they see my way, not that they come to my church or any way, shape, or form, but that they find God for themselves. Like, you're kind of on that journey yourself. You know, at times you may pay more attention to it than others, but, you know, the, the, the status quo in your life just, you know, it's not that you don't appreciate it, but it's just kind of not enough, you know, and you have the, you have questions and that's great. It really is. Now I don't have all the answers. I, I, I am one. I, I, if I do a study, a teaching or preaching, I tell people, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. If I don't know, I don't know. And there's a lot I don't know. And there's probably a lot I never will know. And for people to be, you know, on that journey, lots of people have been, and they've found God. And, um, you know, because they're not looking for the problem solver, they're looking for an answer, for, I see what I see. You know, um, like I said, the cosmos. Man calls it the cosmos, which means order and organization, you know, and we get back to all that, how, why the planets are, are where they are, just the magnificence of the universe. It, uh, I love it. And, uh, I mean, every day we see in creation, the balance that's there, uh, with, and what about gravity, you know, and, and the, you know, I little know a little bit about our physiology and the way the lungs work and the heart Come on, the heart is amazing. It is, it's for now 59 years, it's gone without stopping in my life. Hopefully tomorrow it'll keep going. But these things are amazing to me. It, it's just, I've learned not to take anything for granted. You know, that, um, and here I am pushing 60 and I'm still amazed at those things. Now Christmas and all that, yeah, I've been over that for a while, but uh, um, just the, the uh, that's why we go hiking and try to find the highest summits we can, we were in Lassen a week or so ago and went up uh, Brokoff Mountain, which is shorter than Lassen Peak, which we've done, but it's 9,200 feet. And it really is not just about the destination, but the journey because it's so magnificent. I'm, I'm full-blown woodsy the owl type uh, that's where i thrive is out in the woods and um i just love it you know, i love nature i really do and i appreciate it and when you get up there and you see a rainstorm in the valley below you and it's just it's just awesome and i don't get that i go into disneyland not that there's anything wrong with disneyland it's not my thing but um it's all part of the genuine experience that i want to have and to me serving god is that genuine experience, and he, I, I don't need to try to fit him to a gap, or try to make sense of him, because he's more than I'll ever know. I'm just glad let me know as much as I do know. <laughs> One of the most incredible things, hands down, is being out in the woods at night and just oh. looking up, and there's no light pollution. Yes. There's nothing just taking away from, from what is up there. Yep. I mean, you want to have your breath taken away. Oh. You just got to look up. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen it too. I have been in those places and the sky is literally white with stars. And planet, of course, not as many planets, but the stars we see. And, uh, you know, it's an amazing thing because um, 
on YouTube is the little thing I showed the church the other night about the different sizes. You know, we're, we're kind of can grasp our solar system and, and our sun. And even though we know it's one of the smallest stars that exist, it's minuscule compared to um, in Orion. Orion has a star called uh, Betelgeuse. And it's a red giant planet, a red giant star. And uh, it's going to become a supernova in a million years or so. Um, but the mass of that thing is just incredible. I forget, you know, we're talking light years in measurement now, not just kilometers or miles. What's the Earth? 3,800 mile diameter, something like that. That's that's comprehensible. Yeah, but light years, I mean, how do you oh, even wrap your head around you that? You can't. Uh, I mean, I what is it? Four quadrillion or I don't even know how to, how to say those words, you know. But they're they're huge. The light years. But again, that's the only way we can comprehend it. We go, oh, that's that's a light year. That's huge. That's all I can say. Yeah, you can't really comprehend it, but it's a big number, and uh, it so. And beyond that, you know, we we're spectators. We really are. Um, yeah, we've been to the moon, which is really cool. And uh, we've got some telescopes floating around out there that bring back great images. And we've got the little helicopter flying around on Mars, which, again, is really neat. And um, now they're trying to get the Webb telescope up, which is going to see even better and clearer than the Hubble because it's so much bigger and it's mirrors and all that kind of thing. Uh, but all we're doing is looking. You know, all we're doing, what's it going to take? It takes three or four days to get to the moon was it three or four years to get to Mars? I can't remember. I mean, we're, you know, we got this, we got this uh, longevity problem. <laughs> it's not going to get us too far. Way, yeah. yeah, but you know, it's uh, again, it just brings me all back to the the idea and the reality. I mean, Orion is in the Bible. I think it's in the Book of Job. It talks about the constellation Orion and the seven sisters, Pleiades, which you see, I think, during the winter time mainly. Um, but these things are so amazing to me and, uh, you know, it's, these things are so immense, um, that, uh, they're bigger than us and we'll never get to them. You know, it just, I don't think we can live long enough. Um, you know, Stephen Hawking said that basically civilization man civilization ain't gonna last a hundred years if we don't get our act together you know and he's astrophysicist big dreamer that kind of person he's dead now but um he said you know well, if we can't solve our problems here on earth we don't have to worry about the rest of it because we ain't gonna last another hundred years by his opinion and um you know and he's full-blown atheist full-blown uh humanistic ideas but he looks around and says, good luck. So, you know. One of the things that I love about space is that it's humbling in that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes, you know, we all suffer from that problem where we start thinking the world's falling down around us or we're not in a great space or mm -hmm. maybe we, we start feeling a little too overly confident. And then all you have to do is look up and it it puts it all back into perspective. You know, it does. If you're willing to see it. Yeah. You know, if you're willing to see it, some people can't see the forest or the trees, as they say, um, it's right there in front of them. They can't see it. And, and a lot of times it's their, 
their uh, station in life that you know is pretty hard at the moment and um, so all these these problems we as humans i mean face and dick how how much more do we focus on problems than we do the things that are good oh way more yeah i do too you know i do too uh I I try not to fret. I don't fret anymore. Um, for one thing, I realize most everything is out of my hands. Yeah, I have my part in prayer and in those things, but it's up to God. You know, I I can't change anybody. I've tried. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah, it's it never works. No, they have the change has to take place in their life, in their heart. Uh, bombarding people with the Bible with church things, trying to lay guilt trips on everybody, or whatever the case may be, it's never going to work because that's an external event. The event God wants where he reveals himself is in the heart, not through intellect or through talent and ability like we talked about the preachers earlier. <clears throat> he reveals himself, the Bible says, the word of God quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, divides the the joints and the uh, soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, which are spiritual and physical things, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, the word goes, our prayers go where my words can't go, no matter how encouraging, no matter how whatever, they only go so far. The change has to take place deep inside. When I gave my heart to the Lord, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. Like I told you, something was different. Something had changed in me. Probably still couldn't explain it very well today, but it happened. And uh, so I know it's real. I know he's real because like you, you said, I had no prior experience. I didn't know what to expect or, or anything. And, and so now it's what, 55 years later. And, um, uh, it is what it is. It's <laughs> a great way to put it. Yeah, there's that that famous quote: "You you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it." Drink. Oh, I've used that. In fact, I thought yeah. about it when we were just talking about it. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a rest <laughs> for a minute, <laughs> and then yeah. you bring it yeah. up. Yeah. So you're, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have said that to many people, and I have used it in sermons because it's true. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it hit home. It hits home. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah it's very true. How do you, with with subjects like the military, where they're forced to do things, you know, in times of war, how, how is that viewed? Because I know like in the Ten Commandments, you know, mm-hmm. obviously you shouldn't kill people. Yeah. But there are people out there who, you know, in order to protect life, or you would hope that in order to protect life, sometimes there are drastic measures that have to be taken. Yeah. Um, I've asked myself that question back when I signed up for the draft. <laughs> oh, you signed up? Well, yeah. yeah I, was, um, I was too young for Vietnam, and I was too old for Desert Storm and those things, so mm-hmm. I never went. Uh, but you had to at 18 or whatever it was. You had to sign up for the draft. So I did. And uh, I can't say I was happy about it. I kind of felt like, you know, I wasn't some conscientious objector or protester, but, you know, and I'm a little bit that way, maybe, then that's a fault that uh, for all the things I do, I don't really want the government telling me what to do. Yeah. You know, don't know if that's... It's not crazy to say that. I, I know. think a lot of people fall into that category. You know, I'm, um, 
I'm a very small government person. Mm-hmm. Keep our roads, keep the keep the utilities going, and stay out of my life, stay out of my paycheck. But back to the military. Um, I had that question, and I asked a few people that I valued their wisdom, which was much more than mine. And and then some of my own things the Lord might have shown me was, first of all, um, the the wars that that mattered, and I do not make light of the loss of life on either side. I mean, we lost. Um, there are families that lost their children, and they're not coming back. Um, but like World War Two, um, was the war that. You know, America was called upon basically to save the world, you know, and uh, the war in Europe, the war in the in the uh, Pacific, um, you know, Pearl Harbor and all that kind of thing. The way I break it down very simply, that um, someone's breaking in your house and your family's there. Your family's in peril because of it you're going to put that person into submission. However it takes, you're not going to try to bargain with them at that point. You're not going to say, Hey, can we talk about, no, they have ill content in their heart. They're breaking into your home. They're going to harm you. You're going to take them down. And so 10 commandments, thou shalt not kill. Well, for one thing, and I can't say that I know the definition of it, but in the Hebrew, there are many different meanings for different words. But if you read the Old Testament, uh, they had some brutal wars. The the Jews fought against their enemies uh, in one place, and it's horrible, but it's true, maybe more than one. Um, God told them going into battle, don't leave anybody alive. Women and children, the warriors... They all got to go. This is God. And the reason that he said that, getting back to the intruder, let's just throw all uh, aspects of bargaining in it. This guy's going to kill everybody. He's going to kill your family. And he's well-armed. I mean, let's just go to the edge with it. What are you going to do? No. I got a feeling you're a pretty good shot. And you're not going to run for anything but your gun. And you're going to put, why? Because you don't want a shred of harm coming to your family. And so in the Bible, when they fought these wars, what God basically was saying, if you don't do something about these people now, they're going to come against you. And that happened. They would let some live. Um, and what happened is they would rise up against Israel. Instead of putting them down once and for all, they would, um, so you're just going to have to keep dealing with them until you deal with it, you know? So with war, uh, am I, do I want to kill him? No, I, I don't. But at the same time, I might try to find something else to do. Um, I don't know, be a medic be a chaplain not go out of your way to be in that position i would not want to yeah um but if it came down to it i can tell you i would if my buddies were in peril uh for me again just me 
as I stand now, as I understand now, as I would react, I think I would react now, as I would, I would pick up some kind of weapon and fight for them. And if it ended in uh, someone losing their life, I, you know, not a warmonger, but I do believe we need to defend ourselves. And, uh, um, and there is, now to just walk up to somebody and kill them, no. I, and I really believe that that is... See, the thing about the Ten Commandments, it was a foundation. The Ten Commandments and the law, until that time there had been no expectations really put on Israel um, as what God expected. And so the first five commandments have to do with honoring God and uh, you know putting God first, having no graven images, all that kind of thing. Um and the second had to do more with our earthly responsibility uh, to family, um, to our neighbor, shall steal, and you know to our community, not to kill anybody. So you see, it's a whole different ideal. This is how we should conduct our everyday life. Um, I don't think there's ever reason to steal, uh, to covet. It's not a good thing. You know, there's nothing productive about that. Uh, but there have been times when. Um, killing, I guess you say, was the better option. Doesn't have to be a pleasant one. Not going to enjoy it, but if it's between my family and that person, you know, there's no question. Either that person goes down or I go down. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be something to the end, and. um and I, I was in that position once. It wasn't that bad. We're coming back in Nevada. We're coming back from a pizza parlor or something, and the kids were all small. And uh, as I was walking up the door, it was a big picture window, and I saw somebody in the house. Well, you have two options. It's the fight or flight thing because um, you're dumping adrenaline, and you're either going to rush in take on the situation or you're going to run Well, I rushed in. Well, it turned out um, that the church had a surprise birthday party for me. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I busted through that door. I think I opened it, but I didn't know what I was running into. That mm -hmm. was the natural, that was my natural reaction. Why I chose that one, I couldn't tell you because my family's outside. They're safe. Should have just got in the car and left and called the cops. So for me, that was probably pretty stupid to do, but that was the fight or flight thing. And I chose to fight and, uh, probably chose wrong, you know, chose poorly because it was just a birthday party. <laughs> Luckily that's all yeah. it was. But you know, there have been Christians that have gone to battle. I don't think they lose their salvation, mm -hmm. um, at all. Uh, in fact, I know they don't. And, uh, you know, they're, they're called to duty. Um, and they fulfilled that duty and, uh, any of them that enjoyed killing, uh, you gotta wonder about that. But, uh, in fact, we all know that the, uh, you used to call it shell shock. Now it's PDS. PTSD. PTSD. Yeah. yeah. I can't keep up with all the acronyms. Everything's an acronym now. There's a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. Do it. It would not be my first choice to, I would go but like i said there might be other options that i could do 
But if the time came to pick up a rifle and defend my comrades, then that's what I would do. Yeah. It's that, you know, that call. I think World War II is a great example because that's something that, you know, it almost, it needed to be done. I think yeah. you could say that oh, like yeah. there were people who were being targeted for, for no fault of their own. It wasn't oh, yeah. some victimless crime. No. Like there were atrocities that needed to be stopped. Yeah. And, you know, as much as we would like to live in a world where, you know, peace is throughout, mm -hmm. that's just, that's not realistic, at least no, not, not in today's day and age. No. And again, you got to get back to, since we are kind of in a spiritual context, uh, in human nature, there's always going to want to be somebody that's going to want to be in absolute control yeah. and in charge. You're not going to escape that ever. Um, I know there are those that think we can just all get along and that would be nice. I'm all for it, but it's not the reality because it only takes one out of a country as we have seen that, um, that wants that power. And the thing about people that desire power, they're very driven and people that want control, they're, they're very, and you know, we see this in politicians on a certain level where, you know, they want control. That's what they, that's what they run for. They, you know, they want to change this and change it, but really they're the ones that get changed. When you get in that environment, and I, I got to go to Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago, and it's got some fascinating stuff. I wish I'd have, we didn't even spend a whole day there. We just had too many things on our agenda. Uh, well, I take that back. We did spend a whole day. But, uh, I mean, there's a lot of neat stuff there. But everybody's there, you know, they think they're going to change Washington. They're going to drain the swamp. No. The swamp's still full. Washington's not changing because you have people there in power that love power. And, you know, they always, like the old saying, they always tell us what we want to hear until we elect them and then they don't do any of it. So, but they'll keep telling us that and we'll keep voting for them because one day, you know, it's that hope thing that never really, never really happens. They're dangling the carrot in yeah. front of everybody. Yeah, I like, I think it was Bill Clinton. And he, he hit the nail right on whatever kind of person he is or was. He got this one right. He said, ask yourself if you're better off now than you were four years ago. And he was running for election. <clears throat> and that should be asked every, um, every time, season, political season. It's all the time now. But um, what did this guy or this girl really do for me? You know, is my life really better because of them or or not? You know, that's how I think. And I don't vote as much as I probably should because, I don't know, <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> I had a buddy of mine, he was World War II, or Korea, one or the other. He was a little upset with me because I wasn't voting in this certain election. I didn't like either candidate. And um, he said... Well, people died, and he's super patriotic, great guy. And he said, well, people died for for you to cast your vote. And I said, yeah. I said, if my vote is that precious and that treasured, then I shouldn't be casting it for just anybody, should I? I'll just hang on to it. And he goes, well, yeah, there's something to that, because that's how I felt. I thought, what a waste. 
you know, and he's right. Absolutely right. And I believe that too. Then I can't cast it before swine. Another biblical term, you know, just because people have paid uh, the full measure. So I can waltz into a voting booth and vote my mind. And, uh, and I'll tell you the truth. That was one of the reasons why I didn't care for any candidate, either one, like I said. But um, I thought about that and I thought, yeah, they don't deserve my vote. So I didn't. Yeah, I struggled with that with this past election. You know, I just didn't care. I didn't feel like either the, you know, Biden or Trump, I didn't feel like yeah. either of them could or desired to lead the country in the direction that it needed to go. I, I can agree with that. I, yeah, I was over Trump. And to me, uh, uh, Biden is just a career politician. And I looked back, you know, again, I don't, if you listen to certain newscasts, you're going to get, you know, people tend to listen to ones who are going to tell them what they want to hear. It's all biased. Yeah. yeah. It's all biased. Whatever way you're living. There's Walter Cronkite, who was a flaming liberal, but that never came across. And you're too young to, to remember him. You may not even know who he was, but he was the, he was the voice of America. I mean, Walter Cronkite was the man. But even as a kid, and I, I can't say I knew everything he was talking about, but I never saw biased. He just reported the news. And and he was a part of the fabric of America for some poignant times, uh, along with some others. You know, the Kennedy assassination and uh, Neil Armstrong on the moon. It's always his voice that I connect because, you know, Walter was the man back in the day, but he was extremely liberal. And, uh, but that never came across, at least not to me, what little bit I watched. Um, but nowadays you can't get away from it. You know, it's, it's tiring. It really is. Cause I don't really have a lot of, a lot of trust in any of them. So, um, you know, it's, uh, but see, that's the thing, you know, like I said, there was a time I was a news junkie, but not anymore. And, uh, but Clinton asked the right question. You know, are we better off now than four years? Where are we at now? Are we better off now? That's all you got to ask yourself. Is my life, is my life better or worse because of so-and-so? And if it's better, I may not agree with your policies to a certain extent, but I might vote for you. Um, or not. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, you want to believe that, that people that go into politics go in for the right reasons. Oh, yeah. You want to believe in the honor and nobility. Yeah. But then do they just get corrupted along the way? I mean, what what happens that changes that well, switch? Well, getting back to my DC point, um, I think there have been a lot of people that have gone there, been elected, and I've heard some say that I can't be bought, that kind of thing. And I think they mean it. I think they're genuine in that. But when you get back in that environment, and when that really is the spirit of uh, politics, and it really is the spirit of Washington, D.C., um, they, the things we see, we kind of cringe and go, why would you say that? Or why would you do that? Or how come you can't get, they, Washington, D.C. is its own world. They don't really care what we think. When they're in power, they do what they want. And that's why um, if you're a super liberal, 
you're going to run to a district or a state that is super liberal. Um, if you're super conservative, you're going to run to a district or a state that will keep electing you over and over and over again because they like what you got to say. And they are you, you are them. And they'll, you know, they'll just, um, I mean, this is why we have 80, 90-year-old politicians, which I don't think we should. Which is crazy. It is. I, I believe in term limits. Here I'm talking politics, but <laughs> I believe in term limits. Yeah. I do. You know, I don't, I don't think they should be elected for life or whatever, you know, even though they're not. But they're in a, a place that completely agrees with their ideals. And so where you might look at that person and go, yeah, I'm touching you, you know, they got all kinds of people that say, yeah, this is, this is the one I want. And so that's what you got now. And that's why I don't really... And that's not nothing new. That's why I can talk about it. It's been that way forever. Yeah. Uh, the day of the statesman is long gone. You know, I mean, that's another interesting thing. Um, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence. Um, when you get into some of the history of it, and I'm not going to bore you with it because, but these guys weren't necessarily friends. They came from all different political spectrums. They all had, you know, the thing about them, though, these weren't poor men. These were, these were privileged. These were the white privilege, if you will, which is a term I just got tired of hearing. <laughs> but these guys were aristocrats. They were uh, amazing businessmen. And yet they signed this declaration that made them treasonous against England. And you think about that and you compare that. And they, you know, it's not that they were good men. It's not that they were, uh, you know, some were slave owners. But that they would put their name on a document that would declare them treasonous against the King of England. They signed a document that if they couldn't keep it, they'd lose everything. They'd lose everything. And it's not like England was just some, some slouch. Oh, I mean, no. we're talking about the most powerful empire at the time. Business and they yeah. wanted, they wanted this land, you know, uh, but, but I thought about it. these guys, had everything to lose and still, and some of them are, you know, familiar to us, Jefferson, Franklin, those kinds of guys. Um, and I've studied some of the, I'll call them lesser only because they're not well known, but they're certainly more accomplished than I'll ever be. And yet they did that and they formed this country. And then a few years later, they would put together the constitution and you know, this takes us all the way back to the Bible, what God's promise to Abraham was in the beginning when he called him to be the father of Israel and the father of faith. He said, I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. Well, when God says something, it's forever. It's not, okay, you got 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. Um, and America has been blessed. And God had his hand because then... Over a period of time, uh, the nation of Israel in 1948 would, would become a nation. And, uh, you know, I always, I never understood why people hate the Jews so much. Uh, 
I never got that. I mean, what have the Jews really done? Um, yeah, you know, I know they're money makers. They're smart that way, but crud. Uh, Hollywood's crawling with them, you know. Uh, we wouldn't have uh, Indiana Jones or Jaws without Spielberg or E.T., whatever other ones he does. You know, he's a Jew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on and on and on it goes. We could talk about the you know people, Jewish people that have succeeded in their fields. Um, but I've always wondered, and I've never really run across a reason why the Jews are so hated, except that they're God's people. And see, there's only two real factions or groupings in the world today. The two that are the most hated by the world, by politics and politicians and all that. It's the Jew and the Christian. Why is that? Because the Jews are God's chosen people and the Christians are the bride of Christ. So naturally, the devil would raise up opposition against... I mean, Israel has... I started reading a book, kind of, and you get more in about six-day war that Israel went through. And I know something about it. You know, they were basically pressed on every side and they still kicked butt, which is amazing to me. But um, I don't know what the Jews did... They're the only democracy in the Middle East. Everything else is uh, a sham. Um, presidents are tyrants and dictators. You know, my question is, what what have they really done? And then you got Holocaust deniers, which is crazy. Yeah, you know, which is crazy. Climate change denies one thing. You know, Holocaust denying that's. That's beyond. A woman even wrote a book I saw one time. It's like, and she went on a show defending her belief that it was a farce. And it's like, my gosh, you know, we still have the treasure of having people that live through it. There are fewer and fewer, but uh, yeah, I. But what has the Jew done? You know, I, I mean, yeah, there's Jews just as scoundrelly as anybody else. But as a nation, you know, these politicians that hate Israel, American politicians, congressmen and uh, representatives and all that, you don't even know. You, For one thing, even my generation, to a certain degree, we don't know what it is to have to fight for anything. You know, we, we don't know what it is to be sitting down in a pizza parlor and have it blow up on us just because we're having pizza. Um you know, and yet we can cast judgment on everybody else. And, um, you know, it's just always kind of bothered me. I never really looked into it because it doesn't matter. Because uh, I think the Jews are cool, just like everybody else. But then human nature doesn't allow us to get along. Someone's always got to be the boss. Someone's always got to be the one to lord over, the taskmaster. And there's always got to be an enemy. Absolutely right. Yeah. You are hit right on the head. In order for these causes, other than, see, I have an enemy, but it's not, like I talked about, it's not humanity. The devil is my enemy. But in order for a good um, a cause to get started, to lit fire, you have to be able to point to someone, and they're the reason you're in the state you're in. It's not you. It's not your lack of responsibility. It's not your lack of holding yourself accountable. You know, that's where it begins. Hold the government accountable, hold the schools accountable, hold the church accountable. You got to hold yourself accountable. And when you do that, there's a way out. 
you know, there's a way to get to a better place when you really want to. And you just don't want to complain about it. That's funner, I guess. I don't know. Nobody wants to do that, though. No, um, we're not in that day anymore. Um, used to be, but not anymore. I really worry about my generation because of that. I feel like we, you know, in today's day and age, we really, we have problems. Mm -hmm. But if you take a global perspective, we really, our problems are, are smaller than what most are dealing with yeah. on a daily basis. Absolutely. And in that, we've started to create these problems mm -hmm. that that just aren't aren't there, aren't that big of a deal. Yeah. We could we could smooth over or address if we really wanted to do that, but we don't. We yeah. want to point at it and say this is a problem yeah. and just talk about it. Because as long as there's that problem, we have an excuse as to why we haven't gone where we want to go or yeah. why we haven't achieved what we want to because mm -hmm. there's this problem. Yeah. And we could address it and we could change it and eliminate it. But if we do that, then we don't have any reason to say, oh, I'm here because of this, well, not because I didn't do what I should have. Not only that, without problems to report on, I have a couple of news apps that I seldom look at anymore, but once in a while I do. And the things that they drivel about. It's its ridiculous. It's like, why is this a problem? So somebody said something. Someone, a, a politician, didn't do a very good job in an interview. And so they flocked to it to say, oh, well, they said this. And, and uh, you know, who cares? You know, you know it's, a, it's just a strange thing. You know, the, the fact that there is no accountability... There's only blaming and, uh, you know, you know what your generation, Nick, there, there are people in it that, you know, that, uh, you know, like yourself, you're a clear thinker, you know, you, you are, and, uh, it doesn't mean being open-minded to just accept everything. You measure things, you know, you consider things. Yeah. That's worth looking into. No, sorry. You know, that kind of stuff. Instead of just going, following along because the crowd goes that way. And, uh, <clears throat> and that's the problem. We have people in this so-called quasi power, because I don't think they have real power, not over my life. I, I can live without them. Yeah. They may exact taxes and try to squeeze me, but you know what? And I don't say this stupidly. I can, I can live in the woods. You know, I can live off the land um, don't really want to, but it could, you know, um, but they've never experienced real, the real need to fight for something. Real struggle. Yeah. A real struggle. Um, not, not in America. Now, if they struggle, like we talk, and I don't belittle people's struggles at all. They're real to them, but let's face it. A lot of them struggle because they choose to. They're waiting for the next stimulus check to show up, or they're waiting for the next freebie of whatever to show up. And, uh, you know, someone said, oh, we're getting another stimulus check. I said, are you kidding me? I didn't even know, how many does that make? You know, uh, I don't wait for it. I get up and go to work every day. You know, I, it's not in my mind. I don't think I would like getting a check from the government that I didn't earn, like a retirement check every month for nothing. 
you know, Social Security, you've worked for that, uh, your retirement, that's different. But uh, just for it to show up and all I've done is sat around in my pajamas all day, you know, which I couldn't do anyway. But, um, but the thing is, they don't know what it is to have to really take a stand. So they, so like you said, they make up all these enemies. They make up all this, um, you know, and, and Trump was a, a field day for a lot of these people because oh, it's yeah. easy to hate him. I mean, let's face it, the guy was vulgar and, and um, yeah, he was, I wouldn't want to hang around him. I mean, he's just nasty and he's entitled, you know, but he became the e easy enemy, you know, it's, and so they flock and jump on guys like that. Um, he wasn't a real enemy. He's annoying. He's stupid. He is, you know, nasty, but he's not my enemy. You know, he didn't come in my house and try to destroy me. Um, America's not had that problem. Even in these, uh, you know, we had 9-11 and uh, some smaller things only in scale, not in the importance of human lives being lost um, that have happened. But, you know, a funny thing I noticed, when, and I'll just be honest, when 9-11 hit, I didn't even know there was such thing as twin towers, you know, let alone the Pentagon I knew, and then the uh, the Pennsylvania thing. But the news gets on there, and after a t short time, they say, "Oh, the world is watching. The world is on the edge of their seat." And I, you know, I'm not. You know, when's the next attack? When's this? When's that? Um. A lot of people I talked to, we just went back to life. Doesn't mean that we belittled what happened. Um, but not since, I say that to say this, not since World War II, Pearl Harbor. And of course, I wasn't even alive back then, but I had family members that fought in World War II. Um, not since then has America really rallied around everything, anything. Um, you know, what was amazing was uh, the men went to war and the women built the war machines to ship to them. You know, we had Rosie the Riveter and, and we had women that would became pilots and we had the Tuskegee Airmen. We came together. We really did come together. All of a sudden, it didn't matter what color you were, what gender you were. Uh, that was nothing. You know, we came together and we fought a common enemy. Well, the common enemy doesn't exist anymore, so we have to make our own enemy, like you said, and you put that very well. Um so we have to create an enemy. You know, one of the things with the Crusades that uh, took place back in the days with between the Christians and the and the Muslim was if a king was starting to lose popularity, let's start a war that'll raise my... You know, it's been around that long. There was no real reason to go and pick on the Muslims, uh, but except that my political popularity slipping. I remember when George Bush, during the, um, the second George Bush, his popularity soared during uh, whichever one it was that he was involved with. I think his dad was Desert Storm. I don't remember. I'm too old. But anyway, political popularity really builds when we have a war to fight. And um, but we don't really have that kind of... Now we got cyber stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a whole different thing. It, uh, 
uh, you know, it's, it's a whole different world now. We, you know, as far as those kinds of wars with, uh, I mean, the battleships have even gone away. You know, there's no need for them anymore. Now we have missiles that can all but circle the globe from Kentucky. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's crazy when yeah. you think about it. The technology, I was going to say this, is what all the good of technology has done has also made us, our lives emptier in a way. We don't have to use our hands anymore. We don't have to, um, we don't have to really get good at anything except gaming, yeah. you know, things like that. I have nothing against gaming as long as it's kept in its proper place. When uh, when we end up in our mom's basement in our underwear, yeah, it might be a little might bit be of a problem. problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that. I mean, I I shit on technology a lot, but it has it's done a lot of good, and it's done a lot of bad. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a two sided coin. Yep. But I think we lose something. There's something gratifying about making something whether it's yeah whether it's art whether it's music whether it's you know building a house Mm -hmm. or building a piece of furniture there's something fulfilling in doing that because you can step back and say i made this yeah like i absolutely from my imagination through my hands into what this is now Mm -hmm. like that that fulfills you and people aren't doing that today you know you go work at a coffee shop or you go do whatever job that you have and you're not getting any fulfillment from that. And there's a void, I think. And and I agree. Yeah. Um, And it's hard to fill that if you don't have, if you don't have something that you're striving towards. Right. When, you know, we have to, I think we have, we are creative. I'll put that way by nature. God's nature is in us. He is a creator. So therefore we have this creative ability, but it is diminished because of technology. And I will, I will say there is a place in our lives for technology, but it shouldn't be owning us. It should be a tool and it can be a useful tool. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to use a handsaw every, anymore. I can use a chop saw or a circular saw or That's something nice. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, if I want to cut a tree down, I got a nice chainsaw to do it. My dad, uh, he was a logger back in the day and he used the, the, it was like a buck saw, you know, the pole, the pole and draw, draw saw. That's what it was where one guy pulled and the other guy pulled, you know, you can't push it because it would buckle up. Uh, so, you know, we've come a long way from that. Um, but there is a downside a dark side even, you know, with technology, we have the internet is a prime example, it can be a good tool or it can destroy. And, uh, it's done both. Um, you use it as a good tool, but there are those that, um, you know, the dark web and, and then you have the whole, uh, stalking thing and, uh, the things that perverts do with kids. Um, it's very dangerous. So you're right. It's a two-edged sword. I think most things will, you know, uh, war is a two-edged sword. You know, a lot of World War II, as noble as I made it sound, and it was to the to the people that went and fought, was also about power. You know, you had uh, Roosevelt and Churchill, and um, who was in Russia at that time? I can't remember. Was it Stalin? I think he was before. Anyway, whoever it was. 
you know, the Russians were our allies, but they weren't. And uh, that's where we got all the communist bloc uh, nations because they we gave it to them and uh, they just spread their communism over there and, you know, East and West Berlin and the infamous Berlin Wall. Well, in a nutshell, I've read where before the war was over, they, these these guys were starting to divvy it up, the land, who gets what? So was it about liberating Europe or owning Europe? Yeah. You know, same with, you know, we, we destroyed Japan and we built it back, but we had a lot of control. And just till, um, it's probably been a couple of decades now, but um, Germany was still under martial law in a technical kind of way until about the time of maybe Reagan's time when the Berlin Wall went. So, you know, it wasn't like setting people free. Now you have your land, your freedom, go about your business. It's like, uh, you owe us something for this. We're so going to hold on to it. For we're going to hold on to it. And the British did it with the Middle East. You know, uh, Jerusalem, uh, Israel, the British occupied it forever and a day. Well, Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah. Look at what's going on there. That's, you know, but don't say that. You get in big trouble if you... <laughs> That's another thing that's so despicable. These people that make excuse for China because they, it's their, it's their money. Oh yeah. yeah it's their cash cow. Oh yeah. You know, from we these, can't talk about China or we're going to lose out on billions. Oh, uh, it's just these basketball players and stuff that were here. Here a guy stands up was a gym for the Houston Rockets. I think I don't know his name. And the only reason I remember because it impressed me. This guy says, Hey, Taiwan. You guys, you know, you guys are your own country. We're standing up for Taiwan. Shut that down. Oh my gosh. Because of money. Yeah. Now, so yeah, there you go. It's, it's crazy. I mean, the whole thing, it's just crazy. If we can't start coming together in a real way, I mean, it's just going to crumble. And the idea that it wouldn't crumble that society is is rock solid is just laughable i mean we've it seen is. it throughout history yeah you're right i mean it, it like i said i i know i'm sounding like a broken record at this point but it's the human nature thing yeah someone's always want gonna be working their angle you know and and it's been proven over and over and over again um in the corporate world it's a it's a vicious vicious place you know, it's uh, nothing personal. It's just business. I ruined your life, but not personal. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't invest in that kind of stuff at all, and I don't. So it's a good way to live. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just not try not to pay attention. Well, it gets back to what you were saying. It's too draining. Yeah. It's too exhausting. It re- it weighs on you. Yeah. People don't acknowledge that, but it, if you just turn off the news for a few days, you're gonna feel better. Oh yeah it's like taking a shower <laughs> yeah uh, yeah after like a month of just oh, not and you're like okay we yeah. gotta I, and i have talked to a few people that have done that very thing they said we just can't take it anymore they're not really saying anything uh for one thing once it said once it's old news now but you have 24 hours a day and they just keep repeating the same stuff and the same headlines and whatever it is and when it said once in my book it's time to move on Got it. Let's move on. But no, it comes back more because they got, they can't, for the appetite of people wanting to know things, they can't muster up 
enough stuff. And it's the attention span. Yeah. You got to just keep spoon feeding it. To oh them. yeah. Yeah. It's, I hear you. I hear you. Well, you sick of me yet? Well, yeah. I mean, we can wrap this up because we did we did two and a half hours. Oh my god! So, Mister Not Talkative. I mean, we just blew through that. Oh well, it felt like four. So, oh shit! <laughs> no, 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 it's good, Nick. I appreciate the opportunity. Right no, now. I really, I really do appreciate you coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. And taking the time. It's my pleasure. I, like I said, I I saw your the way you did things, and I I told your mom and said, man, that, that's professional to me. I'm not an expert. <laughs> But it looked pretty good, and I like the questions you asked, and 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 today I enjoyed this. This is great. Yeah, I, I had a it. great time. I feel like I really, I don't want to say learned a lot, but I feel like it was just, I really enjoyed just talking yeah. with you. It, to me, I just wanted it to be a conversation. That's yeah, all, you know, that's we, all I. That's yeah. all I go into this with. It's yeah. just, I just want to talk. Yeah, and I I picked that up from your, uh, your I forget. I watched part of two of them. I think it was, and each time I was like, hey, this guy's fair. You know, he. He just asking questions, the right yeah. kind too. So I appreciate it, Nick. Thank no, you. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, two and a half hours. Crazy, I right? I told Tina, I said, uh, be lucky to stretch it into an hour. I even asked your mom, I said, how long is this thing? She goes, oh, probably an hour would be long enough. I thought, oh, good. If I get 30 minutes. <laughs> like an hour is going to be too long. Uh, right? Yeah. Can we wrap after 30? <laughs> I mean, is that too short? And she said, oh, she said some people have gone on for a couple of hours or more. And I thought, it ain't going to be me. Lo and behold. Psych. Yep. So I did my talking for the month. I don't know oh, you're set now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank now you, you don't for have that. to talk. You can just breeze by. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Um, do you have anything you want to plug or any parting words or anything? Uh you know, I don't plug anything. I got nothing, you know, it's uh just be good to one another, you know, care about one another, not in the cheesy corny kind of way, but the real way. Make an investment in you know, each other, even if you don't believe in God and, um, it still matters. People still matter. And, uh, we'll just keep trying. How's that? That's perfect. (laughs) I think that's great. Hopefully that, that sticks in some people's heads. I hope so. And I'll be praying for you that too. There you go. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again. Really. Thank you. you. I appreciate it. That was a blast. I, I enjoyed it. I, Thank you for the way you run things. And Good. I didn't see you nod off too many times. No, I, I caught a brief 15 <laughs> I, in there. I kind of, yeah. We, we talk, rallied. I'm talking too much, and I think I see a little drool out of the corner. <laughs> no, I, I enjoyed every second. It was, it was a pleasure. I enjoyed it, too. Thank you. So Thank are you. we done? Yeah, Signing we are. Yep. Right. Thanks, guys.